Hello, and welcome everyone to another episode of Align, where we help you align with your true self, others, and your desired outcome to live your best life. So I think a bunch of us have seen, especially those that stay really close to the investment world, that we've seen a lot of, you know, IPOs, investment, a lot of news around insure tech. And, you know, usually when we think about insurance, it's not the sexiest, you know, space, a little bit old school, slower moving for obvious reasons, more conservative. But we've definitely seen, I would say through since COVID, more of a, you know, hockey stick growth, so to speak, and people, you know, being more comfortable with specific companies going IPO, um, being more larger companies. So what better person to bring on than Mike Donov himself, Mike? So welcome to this topic and welcome to Align. Thank you for having me, Jess. I appreciate it. Of course. And so I think first would be helpful just to, you know, talk a little bit about your background, you know, obviously you're in the family office space, your own specific family office. So it would be great, you know, to just to hear, you know, high level, what are some things that you guys do in terms of investments? And then why did you, you know, what gravitate, why were you so gravitated towards InsureTech? Yeah, sure. I'll give a little background on us. So look, we're a single family office uh, making investments in multiple industries from natural resource to healthcare, tech, consumer, and crypto, um, predominantly 90% direct investments between publics um, and additional private and, and then uh, sort of PE cash for businesses. Um, when we get involved in an industry, we like to come in as operators first and experience it as a more institutional approach. Uh, get involved, hands-on, and then obviously continue making investments within the space because we understand it. What gravitated me towards the insurance space, uh, it was similar to my original background, which is in the lending space when I started my early career out of college. Spent quite a time, for, I would say about four years, uh, around 2007 to almost 2010. Um, it it shows how the growth of the industry is going, right? Uh, two years, about a year and a half ago, I was not really following the spaces closed besides trading the big names, but really starting understanding the overall market with the big uh, buzz happening in the space with large companies going IPO, uh, the traditionals like Lemonade, more in the PC space where everybody oversaw it. But I did not see of a big uh, gap in the senior healthcare market where it is today. And when our family friends launched the company, they attracted me and explained me where those gaps are and why those gaps were important to get involved today and obviously involved in the space today. Awesome, super helpful. And you know, let's talk a little bit more because I don't think the, the audience is quite familiar with the, the kind of hockey stick growth in InsureTech. So talk to us, you know, what has caused InsureTech to be so popular and we have so much news around it, especially after COVID. And then where do you see these trends going? Sure. So as everybody knows, the traditional insurance way, the way the business is done originated is through knock on doors or referral business. Um, a lot of the agents we know or may have friends who are in the space, whether they work the groups like Prudential and MetLife's. Um, but the way the insurance space has transformed in the COVID and is how do you figure out to make those sales by not going the traditional way? COVID was actually a benefit in our way where we got involved is that people still home and still people need policies and they needed to be active today. The transition of the business became more of a co-call approach, which it always existed, but it really tuned up to the next level where every policyholder or an existing one needed to be exposed to the opportunities in the space. So it, brokers had to figure out immediately how to transform that and why to transform it and what was the best way to lock into those potential clients. So 
cold calling system picked up even more than usual. I think from a lot of the competitors overall in the space that we noticed, um, 80% is still that business today. And I think it's going to grow and digitalize what has happened in the space. Uh, how do we find the best rates today? You don't need to wait and sit for a broker to call. You could go to specific websites. You could fill out your name and application, and then a broker will reach out to you. And during COVID, that was even a bigger factor because people really didn't have the avenues they would go. Um, but that's kind of how the market shifted out of the traditional metropolitan city. Because we have to think about we are 330 million population. You know, metropolitan cities or states have a different access than the traditional. But we have to look at the whole nationwide and how that's more valuable because a lot of customers still like the approach of seeing in person, but they had to adopt it to go over the phone instead. Got it. Helpful. Yeah. And I obviously, you know, on the sure tech space, especially for, you know, your company, Premium Choice, the tech is what that's secret sauce, right? That's a special specialty. And obviously we can talk very high level of the CRM system that you built, but and I think both you and I, and we just had a call earlier with a large investment bank, that CRM system, if it's built incorrectly, um, if it's built for a smaller size and you eventually have to rip it out and rebuild, it's huge headache. I think both you and I have our own um, nightmare experiences in finance when we're you know, using a system that is not um, fit and also a little bit too small scale for it. So would love to hear a little bit more about the CRM system, like the vision behind it, you know, was it built for a larger entity? And, you know, I know eventually you want to convert the business into more of a SaaS model. So would love to hear, you know, why, why the pivot, how it makes sense for a premium choice specifically, and how do you think it's going to revolutionize and change the insurance space overall when you guys become SaaS? Sure. When I started, um, uh, looking into the space in the beginning of last year and just speaking to my friends in the lending space um, to understand what kind of platforms are they using from origination to make their at that time, the loan officers to be effective and how to make this a product better for the company. Insurance is a stone age product, right? A lot of the large insurance companies did not have a systematic pro uh, approach to their operation, right? It's still fill out application by pen or by forms or just basic information. There was no full integration tax base. There's probably one true competitor that which got acquired by a large uh, insurance space company that really was sold for the tech value. So when we had the in-house CRM, which was used for other operational businesses, I saw the gem. I said, like, this could be revolutionized once we could do additional tweaks and make the business. Now, by all means, if it wasn't for the tech and the product, we would not be able to scale the business as quick and the revenues and where we are, and especially during COVID. So the optimization of the product would really outline, you know, on onboarding process to make the agent's life easier when they fill out the application, uh, getting the information, what kind of rates, what kind of condition the policyholder has. So everything was optimized for that for make the agent's life easier, especially when they're making these inbound calls from home, which 99% of our agents, that's what they do today. So that was kind of the key component of the platform CRM. How do you revolutionize the space and make it more effective, lower the cost? A lot of insurance companies have a large overheads with call centers for marketers all the way to the agents. That's a huge burden on the monthly burn for any company. We realized that with a lower burn and a better optimization return on your time and effort from having a platform like that, that's going to be the key. And if I could help the industry other insurance brokers were doing similar revenues or really want to grow the business, but not figure out how to do it because the industry is still run by mom and pop 
mentality approach. Um, very few have institutional uh, mentality to grow these businesses. And once they, because they're cash flow revenue businesses and they become cash flow positive, they essentially don't see that they need, they, they like it as a main course of a business for themselves and not really thinking how to grow it and optimize it to better. So I think with our platform, we will provide that resource, we'll open those eyes and ears for a lot of other brokers who need it or other agencies who need the product and really could scale it and call it costs and make more profits for the firm and for the founders and whoever's running the operation. And I think that's going to be a key component for us to help us grow the company to that stage to prove that, that this is the option. Because by the day, premium choice is the first proof of concept of using the product and how effective it got the RCRM. Right. Yeah, I think you touch upon it too. The way you even think is going from, you know, how do we take this company premium choice and kind of scale it bigger through a SaaS model? So for you, you know, you have personally have experience outside of premium choice to transform a lot of private companies into public. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, talk to us about, and I, I'm sure like hearing about the way you think um, about the insure tech space can be applied to other industries as well. So like talk to us like uh, in terms of an entrepreneur or a private company that eventually wants to go public, what are some of the steps that you see? What are some of the roadblocks that you see people kind of get trapped into? Uh, what advice would you give a lot of these entrepreneurs? And we definitely saw last year, a lot of tech stars, right, cashed out. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more this year. So what are some of, some of the thoughts or feedback you have for entrepreneurs? Sure. So a lot of the entrepreneurs, when they start these business, the ideas are great, the execution is excellent. But the question is, well, how is the business going to look like in three years now, right, from now on? Fortunately, the way the industry is run today, from private to public, from from the investors that they get receive capital is show about growth versus actually showing how this could be a cash flow positive business in the future because once you go public to, as from private public this is where it gets tricky now the investor type you have today are gonna you're gonna get penalized if you miss your quarterly earnings or expectation or growth so the biggest disadvantage that i've seen in the last you know since being much much of the last 10 years is getting that way to grow the business and diversify into that opportunity and become that profitable company. Um, I think from a lot of the entrepreneurs, they just don't see that yet. And to be honest, as an investor myself, when I ask these questions, how do you look at your revenues? What do you see the growth perspective? And they get stuck in the different numbers versus the when they should be focusing on execution and actually showing profitability to the business. Um, and then as the time goes on, they lose that momentum on when they're public companies. And we actually have seen that recently in our industry. Most of the companies that went public, all the top six, including, you know, the PNC companies, not just the senior hacker, but all lost more than 60% of its value post-IP because they're not cash flow positive companies or not shown to the growth profitability. And eventually investors will change management uh, or management will leave most likely because they're not performing because and that's the problem. So number one for any entrepreneur, you're building a company, that's great, but show us a path that you're going to be a profitable company or have an idea. And if you don't know it, bring the experts and the team members that could help you build that, whether it's an valid investor, advisor, or any other senior team member that could show you that path to it. Um, 
Two is really executing on that. If you believe in this, there's going to be a, a growth story and you believe that this is, is going to generate income because by the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you own ownership. You hopefully have sweat and income in the, in the company and then you could really monetize that for yourself in the end. Uh, so hold on as much as equity as you can because by the end of the day, this is going to be a future distribution once you become cash flow positive. Um, and three, if you don't know how to get there to the cash flow, step down. Not, it's not a big deal. We've seen C-level step down, play a different role in the company, be the creative designer or director or whatever you feel, be an operator if you're good with managing people and bring an experienced CEO, bring a senior team member that's going to show you what to get there because you really have a good two, three year window to show that. And if you can't figure out after a year and a half, just I recommend strongly to step down to a different role. Somebody could help you out because by the day you're building as a team. Yep. That's all that matters. Yeah, 100% agree. And I'm sure the picking process for the C-suite is also so sensitive, right? Because, I mean, essentially a company for a founder is your baby. And you're essentially bringing on a, 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 like a, a, a babysitter, right? To come on and board, even more, I would say more intensive babysitter, like a new mom or new dad right. take over. So hear you on that. Well, Mike, super helpful. I think it was definitely eye-opening for people that don't really know about insure tech space and how much we've kind of grown, especially through COVID. I always wrap up with a question and that is, I feel that every person has a unique gift. So what do you think, Mike, is your unique gift? Uh, transparency and helping people out. That's my kind of uh, been unique gift. And I always believe in giving back. So that's what I've done for my career. And I continue planning to do that. Yeah. And I have to say, hey, I've known you for a while now. That is your gift. And I feel like you're also good at being transparent without being, what's the word, too blunt. Right. But you're also not like sugarcoating anything. You're just purely honest. This is what it is. And yes, you're definitely a, a huge giver, like a giving tree. So thank you for the time. Thank you. That was awesome. And I will see you soon, dear. Thank you, Jess. Have a good one. Bye, Mike.